welcome to yet another episode of How to Blank in 15 Minutes um, with your host, me, Chantelle Osman, and Brian Young. Today, we're going to talk about um, how to create a reader experience in 15 minutes. Um, what are your thoughts on this, Brian? So managing reader experience is something that I think we all really try to do naturally and don't often interrogate what goes into that managing that understanding of what a reader is going through. And what I want people to do is they're reading their book or their screenplay or whatever it is, whether that's a short story, whatever thing that they're doing, they need to approach it from the perspective of a first-time reader. It's really easy for us to get lost in our stories, knowing everything that's going to happen and why we're laying things down that way and what order we're putting the information in. But that's not always the right way to actually introduce that information to build that story for our reader. So an exercise that I run my students through very often is to have them go through and do a breakdown each sentence of their opening to see what logically should a first-time reader be thinking about as they read this sentence. And then as they get to the next sentence, what should these two sentences added together give them now? What what am I doing with them? How am I creating intrigue? How am I creating narrative suspense? I think narrative suspense is one of the most important things in the toolbox for engaging readers by offering them tantalizing questions and then delaying the payoffs But that's not to say that you want to give them a tantalizing question and then just not answer it until the end. You want to introduce a lot of questions and you want to answer them sort of in order slowly to build more questions. So you're constantly asking questions, answering questions, asking new questions, and it's sort of rolling over the course of your whole narrative. And and this works really well. In movies, it works really well for screenplays and and books. And so managing the reader's experience is really important when you want to understand that narrative mystery, understanding what they're thinking and why, what questions you're dangling in front of them, what setups you're creating and how you're paying them off. It's a much more detailed look. And I know so many people draft sort of by the seat of their pants and they don't put these ideas into them. They don't manage the reader experience on their first draft, but that's the thing revisions are for. And edits are really great at this. And I know when we talked about wanting to talk about this subject, you're like, this is just what we do as editors, uh, Chantel. But I, I think there are definitely a lot of writers out there who just haven't thought about it in in terms like this. Um, breaking things down and trying to understand what that first-time reader is carrying with them. Well, I think my question for you would be this then, um, because yes, I, and and thinking about these things are things that you should be thinking about as a writer. Um, I don't necessarily want these things to hamper you, especially when you're doing that, you know, first rough draft um, and going, what is the reader thinking here? Um, I think a lot of this can be done in in polishing, and you shouldn't be, you know handcuffing yourself, worrying about this at every moment. But that being said, I I do think that it is a skill that's learned with time in writing where it does become a little bit second nature to realize what you're laying down for the reader. And 
it's difficult to do in sometimes a subtle way. What tips do you have, Brian, for not making it neon sign clear that this is what you're doing? Here's the question I'm asking. Here's what I want the reader to think. How can you think this without it becoming evident on the page? So one of the things is really doing it in revisions, right? Using motifs, using symbolism in moments. A lot of these choices you're going to be making subconsciously, and you're going to need an editor or a beta reader or somebody to point it out for you to be able to lean into it. I wrote a short story. Um, it, it, it won an award, um, and it was about a, a French doctor in the French countryside during the German occupation of World War II, and he was hiding some partisans under his floorboards, and a pair of Nazis arrived uh, and they were they'd been searching the barn or something. And one of them cut his hand open, sliced it open pretty good. And they came to the doctor's little cottage to ask for him to sew it up. And in my first draft, about three fourths of the time, every time the doctor, it was very third person limited from the doctor's point of view. Um, he would refer to them in his head in in terms of animals. Right. These beasts or or use metaphors or similes that had to do with animals and these animalistic um, characteristics for the Nazis. And it was something I'd done subconsciously. I didn't realize what it was, but I had an editor pointed out to me and said, I really liked how you did this. Can you turn that up? And then going through and fixing that. So you don't actually say in the page that the doctor thought of the Nazis as animals. But you obliquely put that in there and you strengthen that in the edits so that the audience is subconsciously thinking the same way you are, that they're animals, right? To do those sorts of things, to pay attention to those sorts of motifs that your subconscious sort of gives you on the first pass and then strengthen them on the second pass and make sure that they're doing exactly what they're supposed to. The other thing is, is very much showing instead of telling right? Showing how people react to things is really important. The reader's experience is better if they can feel the anxiety rather than being told that they're, they should, that someone's anxious, right? Someone sitting there tapping their foot and biting their fingernails is much more visceral and, and is a better reader experience than just saying someone was nervous. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so again, just polishing this as you do a second pass. But do you think that you ought to have, I mean, I, I, I have always suggested that when you go in um, and you start writing, you should know the question that you're answering in your book. And that doesn't necessarily mean like an overall moral quandary. That means this is the question that I will answer by the end, whether it's, you know, a personal journey and, you know, um, does Jane reach enlightenment by the end, or if it's something like, you know, um, is, is, will Jane catch the killer by the end of the book? But knowing whatever that question is and writing toward that outcome, I think is step one in realizing that, you know, that's what the reader's question is going to be, that they're also reading the book for to figure out the answer and then kind of laying the breadcrumbs along the way, if that makes sense. I think that those can come with the character turns as well. I, I want to go to Casablanca a little bit because I think it engages um, the reader, the audience 
in a way that... You just always go to Casablanca. I do, because it's such a well-constructed narrative. Um, But the way it it uses its introduction to set up the world building and then introduces you to Rick over and over and over again with all of the rules he'll never break. And then when Ilsa arrives and Rick starts breaking his rules, the narrative mystery of the text becomes, or of the movie becomes... Why is he acting like this? Who is she to him? What is going on? And because we've already got the grounding of like the exit visas and what's going to happen with them. And now we understand that um, she's looking for exit visas because her husband is trying to get out of Casablanca to escape the Nazis because he's already escaped them from a concentration camp. We don't really understand what that question the movie's going to answer is until 20, 25 minutes in when we realize, okay. What's going on with Rick and Ilsa? Why is she with Victor? And are they going to get out of Casablanca with those exit visas? Right. But there's little questions that are built in the first place. When Ugarty comes to Rick and says, I want to hide these exit visas, you wonder, okay, what's going to happen with them? Why are they so important? And how what's going to turn out with the exit visas? So the complications on that initial question, like you talked about, grow and grow and grow until there's character reasons for them. And it it amplifies all of that together. And I think that that's really important where you answer questions and raise more questions as you go, right? Like what's going to happen with the exit visas? Oh no, Ugarty's been shot. What's going to happen with Rick? Hey, who's this? Why is she involved? Oh, is Victor Laszlo going to escape? How is the chief of police going to complicate it? But still, the core question of the movie is what happens with those exit visas? Who gets out and who doesn't? No, I think that's a really good example. Um, and 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 just to beat our slightly dead horse, I I think that my biggest concern in this entire how-to episode is just how will we diagnose ourselves, do you think, if we're making something too obvious for the reader? So I think that's definitely... I think it's definitely something that newer writers need to really be relying on early readers, advanced readers, beta readers, whatever you want to call them, because even, and they don't have to be knowledgeable about stories, right? They just need to tell you how they felt and how the things in your story made them feel. And you can diagnose these things using their reactions about what they thought or what they misunderstood. Um, editors are a great place to do this as well. My next book that's coming out next month, my editor was very much like, hey, this payoff doesn't work as well. You need to, to lay some foundation work for it in the first chapters you introduce this character. Can you go back and look at that? Because right now it's getting lost in the milieu. It's um, It's something that especially earlier in your career, you have to rely on others to help point that out to you. But as you get later in your career, it sort of, it sort of comes by instinct. You learn how to do it better and navigate it better. And so those times with editors or, or beta readers pointing those things out to you are, are fewer and further between. But you learn, I, Neil Gaiman says that you learn by finishing things. And I think that's absolutely true. You just need to finish more projects and you learn more about it. But I also think a really great way to learn this specifically is to do that exercise. Break down sentence by sentence what that first reader is likely to think given the information you've handed them and forget about all the information that you have about the story. 
that's the one disadvantage that I think writers have in revising their works or even writing them in the first place is we know everything. We know how things are going to turn out, especially after we're revising. We know how everything's going to turn out. So all of the turns that we've created in our head make perfect sense. Um, yeah. As an editor, I think that that's honestly the number one thing I, I don't consider myself there to correct or change things. I consider myself basically a translator, um, like at the UN, between the writer's brain and the reader's brain, because often that's that's what my job is. I realize that the writer knows what's going on, but kind of forgot to tell the reader um, yeah. or vice versa. Um, that's that's definitely something I tell writers, especially when I'm doing critiques with them, that me as a critiquer saying, I don't understand this is not an invitation for you to say, well, you should because of X, Y, or Z. It's to say, if readers aren't understanding it, I have failed to do my job and I need to address it. Exactly. And sometimes I honestly have to take off kind of my professional hat in a way when I'm doing an edit. Um, and I'll have notes like I really don't think a reader will follow here, like because I get it. I know your concept. I'm very close to the book. I know that you're smart and have connected these dots, um, but it's just not there on the page for the reader. So it's not necessarily a criticism. It's just one of those things where, you know, you forgot to do it because you took it as given. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. Um, and we get lost in that. We, we really do as we're writers. Yep. No, I, well, hopefully this um, approximately 15 minutes has given you a better insight into the reader experience and how to create a good one. Um, thank you, Brian. And um, as always, listeners, um, please do give us input. Um, let us know your best tips and also what you'd like to hear more of from us. Um, you can find me online um, on Twitter at Suspense Siren and the podcast through at Prey Words and through the Pipeline Artist Network. Um, Brian, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Swankmotron or you can subscribe to my newsletter at swankmotron.com. Wonderful. Okay, until the next 15. 15-